0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. For those of you that have been here the last six weeks or so, uh, hopefully you remember our series, After We Fall Asleep. It was a series on what happens after we take our last breath. That series ended last week, but today's lesson that comes from Revelation chapter 19, and I would encourage you to go ahead and be looking for that in your Bible. But in, in, instead of treating today's lesson as a standalone message, as I am doing, this could have very well been part of the series. We could have called it Part 6, but it really doesn't matter. What matters is that we're going to go to the Word, and I've been praying this week that God would make us different as a result of, of, of His Word today. Um, let's just pray. God... I ask that uh, we would be different as a result of your word. Lord, we've, we've heard this passage, uh, maybe not as much as other passages, but it will be familiar for, to those that at least have gone to church a good part of their lives. But God, let there be something different about it, not because of what I say, but because of your Holy Spirit just impacting us. And I beg for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. To set the stage for our study, um, again, Revelation chapter 19, I've had some pretty exciting days in my life. Uh, For example, the day that I got my first car was an exciting day, and I think it's always an exciting day whenever, you know, uh, we we get our first uh, set of wheels. And I've told you about my first car. It was a 1977 Baby Blue Grand Prix. I was so proud of it. It had a 400 four-barrel engine that would fly, and, uh, and, and don't, don't tell anybody, and I know we've got too many law enforcement officers here that might come after me, even after uh, 50 years. Um, but I found out that that car would go faster. Isaac, it would go faster than 55 miles an hour. And um, it, it had pep, it had pop. And when, when the dealership handed me the keys, talk about being one excited boy. It was also an exciting day for me when I summited my, my first 20,000-foot mountain. And and in mountain climbing, they more commonly refer to that level of mountain as a 6,000-meter mountain. Now, a meter is 3.2808 feet, and so 6,000 meters is almost 20,000 feet. And it's kind of the benchmark, the first step for moving beyond, you know, casual climbing, uh, 14ers, into more serious climbing, and obviously nothing like the 8,000-meter mountain's. There are 14 of those, which would be mountains above 26,000 feet, such as Mount Everest, that's 29-ish, and K2, that's in the 28, and some change there, and the 12 other mountains that take you up above 26,000 feet is called the the death zone. But summiting my first 6,000-meter mountain was exciting, and, and I've done that several times since then. But that first time, to be able to step on that high point and see miles and miles around man, it was exciting for me. It was also an exciting day when my daughters were born, and and to hear their first cry and hold them in my arms was an incredible experience knowing they were my flesh and my blood. And, and I'll admit that when they reached the terrible twos in junior high, I was looking for the returns department to send them back. And, uh, you know, as we say a lot around here, I began to understand perfectly well why some animals eat their young. But on the day they were born, I was so excited and I didn't worry about the future. I really didn't worry about the challenges that would be down the road. You're just awesome to hold my sweet girls. Another exciting day for me, and probably the most exciting day of my life besides the day that I gave my heart to Jesus. It was on July 20th. It's coming up, uh, but 1984, as I stood at the altar and saw my beautiful bride begin walking down the aisle. And and there's a poem that I could certainly relate to. It goes like this. John Doe, on his wedding day, was the most excited creature. He handed his wife the marriage fee and tried to kiss the preacher. Uh, You know, there's just something about weddings that bring excitement as well as nervousness. And not just nervousness for the bride and the groom, but for bridesmaids and groomsmen. and, and, And I've had them get so excited and so nervous, they have literally fainted as I was trying to perform the wedding. And that's a little bit distracting when that happens. And even for me, after all of the weddings and down through the years, I, I've performed a bunch of weddings. And uh, But, but uh, would you believe that I still get way more nervous performing a wedding than I do anything else? Uh, I, you know, I've told you, I'm naturally shy. I'm naturally an introvert. And so I'm, I'm more comfortable behind uh, behind the scenes. But um, anytime I'm in front of crowds, I get nervous. But weddings take my anxiety to a new level and And some of my staff, they laugh at me because sometimes right before a wedding is to begin, I'm in the office area and I'm giving away some of you my, uh, some secrets. uh, But they will see me in the office area pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, weddings just make me nervous. I I told you about the preacher who I believe was doing his first wedding and he was excited and nervous. And instead of saying it's customary for the groom to kiss the bride, he said it's customary for the groom to cuss the bride. Thankfully, I've never said that, but I've stuttered, and my, my nerves are on edge because this is a special day, and I don't want to go down in infamy knowing that I messed up somebody's special day. Weddings are special, and, and, and maybe that's the reason that, that God chose a celestial wedding in Revelation 19 to illustrate the time when He would come back for His church And the Bible refers to his church as his bride, which would mean that if we're part of the church, if we're following Jesus, we're his bride. We're the bride of Christ. And we want to study that celestial wedding today. Now, I I do this on occasion, not not every Sunday, but sometimes I I read the the lesson twice. I'll get a bird's eye view as we want to do today. And then throughout our lesson, we're going to reread uh, the verses as we unpack it, and dig below the surface. And and as we read the, the, uh, the 10 verses of our, our scripture, I want you to notice one word that is mentioned four different times. In fact, it's not just mentioned, but it's shouted four ta- times in a matter of six verses. Let me read for you Revelation 19, beginning with verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, here's the word, hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments he's condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries he's avenged on her the blood of his servants and again they shouted so this is the second time you find it hallelujah the smoke from her goes up forever and ever the 24 elders and, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen. And here's the third time. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, here's the fourth time, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, What are you to write? Well, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, there are several things that just popped out to me. This is, this is a, a, an amazing scripture. And the first thing, and I already mentioned it as we were reading the passage, but, but please notice the shouting that took place at this wedding. The, the shouting started out in, in verse 1 after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah. Now, today you typically do not have shouting at a wedding. If, if someone is shouting at a wedding, it's probably not a good thing. Nor do you typically hear someone say, Hallelujah, at a wedding. But in this scripture, as everyone is getting ready for the marriage of the Lamb, four times the heavenly multitude shouts, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. hallelujah. Now, I'm not a linguistic major. I, I have a minor in languages in college, uh, but it's mainly in, in New Testament, Koine Greek, with quite a few hours in Spanish. But from what, what I understand, the, the word hallelujah is the same, practically the same in any language. And in fact, from what I understand, there are two words that, that are practically the same in most in every language. They're said to be the universal praise words, and they're the words amen hallelujah. In Spanish, you say, amen, hallelujah. Very much the same. Now, the question we need to answer this morning is, is why was this heavenly multitude shouting hallelujah? And, and by the way, I call these hallelujahs the four verses of the hallelujah chorus. But why was this multitude shouting hallelujah? Well, the first hallelujah was shouted because it says, was shouting because it says salvation and glory and power belong to our God. The first hallelujah is shouted because the multitude has experienced salvation and and they've been redeemed. Their sins are forgiven. And so this great multitude is excited and and they want to ascribe glory and, and power and honor to God. And the natural reaction is for them to just let it loose, shout hallelujah. Well, there's something else that I noticed as I studied the passage, this passage of Scripture. It says that that shout came from a great multitude. Don't get the idea that there will just be a handful of us in heaven. You know, us four no more. Last week, we did bring out that Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Many will go there. Narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. Few will make it. But, and that is true. But when you take into account all of the people who have served God over the past 6,000 years or so of the existence of humanity on earth, this group in heaven will not be a little group of, of the frozen chosen. Rather, this will be one massive crowd. The Bible says there will be a great multitude. And by the way, for those people that say, well, pastor, I like a little church, big crowds make me nervous. And, and, and that's okay. Uh, even though it's interesting that a lot of these people that say that are, are very comfortable at ball games where there are big crowds, but, but that's okay. If you prefer a small church, there's nothing wrong with that. However, if you want to go to heaven, you'd better get used to being around a bunch of people. There will be a great multitude of people in heaven. Something else I want to point out. Did you notice that as that great multitude shouts, it will be like a massive roar as they celebrate the fact that Jesus has saved them. Now, I have no problem with those that like a quiet service that's meditative and reflective and you can hear a pin drop and, and that's fine for you. But even though I don't want a service that's wild and crazy and out of control, I do like some life in a service. And part of it is probably my background in South America where the church culture was much more expressive and much more lively than it is here. And one of the conferences that I remember um, attending and one that made such a huge impact on me was, was the Promise Keepers Conference in Washington, D.C. and this is what, 20, 23, four or five years ago, over a million men flooded the Capitol. And when those men began to raise their voices for Jesus, it was, it was like a roar. It was almost deafening. And, and that's the way that I imagine the roar is going to be like at this wedding of the Lamb. And, and, and confession, they say confession is good for the soul. Um, here's what I've been tempted to do. And in the New Testament, did you realize that for funerals of wealthy people, they would hire mourners to come in and, and they would weep and wail? Can you imagine having that for a job and someone, okay, I've got a loved one that died. I want you to come in and I want you to weep and wail uh, during the funeral because that was, that was kind of the thing that you did. And, and the wealthier they would be, the, it would be louder. They would have more and more people there. And, uh, and I would never do this, but I thought about hiring people to come in to our services just to say amen and hallelujah and bring a little bit of life. And, and I know that would be hypocritical and not be pleasing to God. He doesn't want forced worship. But I think it would be healthy for us on occasion. It might scare me the first couple of times. But I think it might be healthy for us on occasion to squeeze out. An amen? Hallelujah? I think I could dig it. Anyway, before I got off on the rabbit trail if you're uncomfortable with expressions of praise and worship and if you're uncomfortable with music that might tend to be a little bit loud you better start getting used to it brother because on that day described in revelation 19 the praise and worship will be so loud it will sound like a roar as the multitudes give praise to jesus for the fact that they have been saved from a life of sin and really, when we think about it, the Lord, the Lord has done so much for us. There ought to be a little bit of expression. Jesus has saved us. He's forgiven us. He's taken our sin, thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered against us no more. He's written our name in the Lamb's book of life. Again, that ought to cause you to squeak out a little feeble amen. Thank you. Still kind of wimpy. There's another hallelujah that we read about. I call it the second verse of the uh, Revelation 19 hallelujah course. And this one initially is a bit confusing. To to me it seemed inappropriate until I studied it. In verse 2 it says, For true and just are his judgments. So catch the theme here. Judgment. He's condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. So why would there be a Hallelujah shouted when there's judgment? That's insensitive. Seems inappropriate. Well, this great multitude realizes that one day Satan is going to be judged. Satan sails a sinking ship. He's going down big time. And as that great multitude in heaven realizes that Satan's days are numbered. They realize that their days of being tempted and harassed and stressed and distressed are past. They're over. They can't help themselves. And that multitude again roars. Hallelujah. There's another hallelujah we read in verse 4 the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who were seated on the throne. And, and, and notice something interesting here. They, they don't just shout hallelujah. That's what they've always done. But they add another word of praise and they cried amen. Hallelujah. Getting really radical here. 24 elders. Who's that? Anybody have any idea? And, and I can't give you a for sure answer. Um, Some would suggest that 12 of them would be the 12 patriarchs, the 12 sons of Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Dan, uh, Naphtali, and the other sons of Jacob from the Old Testament. And then they would suggest that the other 12 might be from the New Testament, could be the 12 apostles. So you've got the 12 and the 12, 12 Old Testament, 12 New Testament would make 24. We don't know that. Scholars feel that whoever they were, whoever they are, These 24 elders are representative of all the saved people down through the ages. And and these are people that had a special relationship with God. These are people that were able to say, I am His. He is mine. They were people that were able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. They were people who were able to say, He will never leave me nor forsake me. They were people that were able to say, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. They were people that were able to say, great is His faithfulness. They were people that were able to say, the Lord is my rock and my strong tower. Amen. And that great multitude that's been redeemed by the blood of the lamb at this celestial wedding, they shout, amen. Hallelujah. It's one more hallelujah that we read. And I love the word picture used, pictures used in this verse and verse six. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude and catch these word pictures. Like the roar of rushing waters. And loud, like loud peals of thunder. Shouting hallelujah for our Lord. God Almighty reigns. And there's so much we could unpack in this verse. But first notice the, the sound of the first sound effect uh, it highlights. It says with the roar of rushing waters. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls... Um, and and actually not so much now because they've throttled back a lot of the water. It's not like it used to be. I think it's, what is it, 20 or 30% of what it used to be. But if you go to another falls where there's a lot of water rushing over rocks or down the mountainside, you can kind of get a mental picture. And and, and I love to see, I I love to hear, I love to just kind of feel it. Um, You know, it just... um, as it comes thundering down the mountainside, it says the roar, picture this, of rushing waters. But then it also says that there was a noise that sounded like a loud peal of thunder. Now, on occasion, in a thunderstorm, there will be the crash of thunder that just startles you. And generally, that follows lightning that has taken out like it did here at this church, took out our phones, our internet, uh, our sign, uh, several things like that. We came in Monday morning, and it was Sunday night, the storm, and uh, took out a bunch of stuff, and I think we've got most everything up, up and running now. Uh, but that'll be that crash of thunder that just kind of startles you. But I, I don't know for sure, but I, I, I kind of think that it's referring to that thunder that I love. It, it starts as a low rumble and it just keeps getting louder and louder and, and and Craig you know about it just you know keeps going and going and going and it just vibrates your house in your chest and I love thunder like that and God's people at this wedding with sounds like a roar from rushing waters and, and a loud peal of thunder that vibrates everything around them. At the end of verse 6, they celebrate the fact that the Lord God Almighty reigns. And they celebrate the fact that God is on the throne. They celebrate the fact that God is above all others. The song says it so well. You've heard it. He's higher than the highest. Greater than the Great. No one will ever take away his crown. He's more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns from above. He's the all time, undisputed, undefeated champion of love. That's the shouting that goes on at the wedding. Let's look further into this wedding. You can't have a wedding without a bride. And who's the bride at this wedding? Again, as I already mentioned, we. We. Those who are serving Jesus, we as the church, we're the bride. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad. Give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And look, look, his bride has made herself ready. So the bride has gone to great length to make herself ready, to prepare herself for the wedding. You've heard me say many, many times that, you know, I've never seen an ugly bride at a wedding. I've seen some that barely made it. They had to work extra hard to get there. But every bride, by the time they fixed their hair, put on their makeup the beautiful dress there are no ugly brides at weddings and 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 our scripture says that the bride or in other words the church those of us who call ourselves followers of jesus christ we must also make ourselves ready whether or not you know this we were all literally hit with the ugly stick of sin and sin is ugly Uh, when god saved us thank god he took away the ugliness He made something beautiful out of our lives. And and, and Jesus, the groom, listen, is not okay with an ugly bride. And of course, the way that we as a church become an ugly bride is to allow sin to come into our lives. In In the sight of God, sin makes us ugly. If I have, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, before God, you're ugly. Of course, he loves you. But that's what makes a child of God ugly when sin comes into our lives. You know, in the sight of God, a big nose doesn't make us ugly. Big ears don't make us ugly. A bad hair day doesn't make us ugly. Sin makes us ugly. You can be beautiful before mankind, ugly before God. Sin is ugly. And so look at the type of bride that Jesus is looking for in Ephesians 5:27, a radiant church. That's us, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And imagine the embarrassment of a bride coming down the aisle in a dirty, stained-up dress that's all wrinkled and looks like an unmade bed. That the bride's dress, which is our character, must be clean, have no spot, no stain, no wrinkle. Jesus wants us holy and blameless. And and when we get saved and find Christ and become a new creature, the Bible says that we are made partakers of His divine nature, which gives us an inner beauty that is far more attractive than the outer beauty that fades away with years. There's yet another factor that makes us beautiful. Verse 8, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So this bride had fine linen that was not dingy, It was bright. It was clean. What did that signify? It answers that fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now, this is super important. Righteous acts do not save us. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves, not of our works. But after we get saved, we're to be involved in righteous acts. What does that mean? simply means that we're to be involved in serving people. We're to be involved in in serving around the church. We're to be involved in serving around the community. We are to be involved in serving the saints and sinners. And righteous acts are those things that you do. Some may be in front of people. Some may be behind the scenes. But these righteous acts are not to be done, are not done to be noticed or done for pay. But they're done because we love Jesus and we love people. And we should just naturally want to serve those that Jesus gave his life for. And God is keeping the books on all of your righteous acts. And for some of you, your book of righteous acts is going to be thick. Page after page after page. Because you've been generous with your time and your resources and encouragement. You're busy, but you find time to serve the body of Christ. Thank you. But I wonder if some of the rest of us will have this little skinny one-page book with very few righteous acts. Because even though we have time or could have made time or should have made time, we're all about ourselves. We're all about making money or just having fun. Blessing numero uno. Blessing ourselves. Blessing number one. So the question is, are we storing up any righteous acts? Because again, remember what verse 8 said. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So at this wedding, at our wedding, at your wedding, where we will be united to Jesus, if we look at our righteous acts or the lack thereof, will the linen we wear be fine and bright and clean? Or will it be dingy, faded, and stained? That is being determined right now by your righteous acts there's something else that I noticed in in scripture, there were invited guests verse 9, then the angel said to me, write blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, now every wedding has guests even if it's a private wedding, I've had those that have said, well pastor we just want this to be private, just the two of us and according to the law in Missouri you have to have at least two witnesses Uh, you know, besides the wedding party, besides the minister you've got to have two witnesses there, and um, the wedding of the Lamb will also have guests. Who are these guests that are invited to the wedding supper? Well, those who have been saved down through the ages. One of those guests will be Moses. And can you imagine what it's going to be like to see Moses? Have you ever thought, what are you going to say to Moses when you see him for the first time? And what do you think Moses will look like? You know, sometimes we see this guy, uh, somebody with a beard way down here, and we'll, we'll say, there goes Moses. Um, I, I kind of picture Moses having a beard down to his knees. I don't know. That's just the way I picture Moses. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to see, I believe one of the guests will be Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Have you ever wondered what Zacchaeus looked like? We know he was vertically challenged, so how tall was he, or how short was he? I'm assuming another one of the invited guests will be Samson. Now, now that blows my mind, because he had a checkered past. Remember all the stuff, bad stuff he did? But God put him in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. That's confusing. Aren't you glad for forgiveness and cleansing? But I've wondered, what will Samson look like? I mean, will, will he be this guy with huge muscles? I mean, kind of like me? And, or, uh, or, or will he be just kind of wimpy looking like, you know, Ryan or, or Dave? Or I don't know what Samson will look like. But, but I, I want to go up to him and say, dude, how did you kill a thousand of the enemy with the jawbone, and I'll say what the NIV says instead of the King James Version, but the jawbone of a donkey. How did you do that? How about the Apostle Paul? What, what do you think he's going to look like? I, I kind of picture him as a stocky man, kind of short, with horned-rimmed glasses. And I know we won't have glasses in heaven, but that's what I think he might just put on just for looks. You know, glasses that are thick like the bottom of Coke bottles. But it'll be amazing to see all of these celebrities that we have heard about all of our lives and celebrities not from Hollywood, and, and there might be a few that will make it from there, but, but I'm talking about faithful followers of God from the Bible and Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and, and David and Peter and James and John and Deborah and Ruth. will not it be amazing to just go up there and say, you've never heard of me? my name's Joe. I'm so glad to meet you, Moses. (laughs) Hey, hey, Ruth, I've read your story, been inspired by your story in the Bible. I'm Joe. Won't it be amazing whenever we get together at our wedding? A couple more things, and then we'll go. The scripture has so many amazing details, but something else I noticed, and I'm glad it mentions this, in verse 9, the angel said to me, "Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So if there's supper, that means there's going to be food. I thought I'd get a couple of "amen" squeaked out on that one. But can you imagine the incredible food that will be at the wedding of the ages? Uh, you remember the wedding at Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2, the wine ran out, and and Jesus changed water to wine. And that's some people's favorite scripture right there. And people said, you know, we've never tasted anything like this before. And, you know, generally people put out the best wine for, for last. And then they saved the cheapest and the less tasty. Or they, they put out the best wine first and then save the cheaper and the less tasty wine for last. And, but he said, the first batch of wine you served us was awesome. Awesome. But then this last batch took it to a new level. And that was awesomer. You saved the best for last. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is Jesus for you. He just keeps getting better and better and sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. And, and here's something that really made me excited. At this feast of, uh, in, in Cana of Galilee, Jesus was only in charge of the wine. But at this marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, he's in charge of the whole menu. Can you imagine what the master chef is going to plan for us? I don't want to miss that meal. Well, then in verse 10, it's as if the focus changes here at this wedding, and, and we've read all about these exciting things, but then we read about a social blunder that was committed. I don't know if you've ever committed a social blunder, and, 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 and I have, and I've and. Sometimes when I travel around to these different countries, you know, sometimes you're supposed to shake hands. Sometimes you're not supposed to shake hands. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to cross your legs and uh, show the bottom of your shoe. Other times that's a no-no. And and so sometimes, you know, I find out, oh, you idiot. Why did you do that? That's a social blunder. And But John committed a major social blunder here in verse 10. At this, I, which had been John, we call him John the Revelator, he's having this vision, writing this down, and fell at his feet, he, he fell at the feet of the angel that's giving in the details of, of our wedding. He said, fell at his feet to worship him, but he, the angel said, do not do it. The angel was not like Lucifer who wanted praise. And, and so this angel said, hey, hey John, get up. Uh, don't worship me. If, 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 if you don't get up, we'll both be in trouble. You'll be in trouble for what you're doing. I'll be in trouble for letting you do it you must worship only Jesus. He's the groom and I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Don't worship me. I'm an angel. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this is a reminder to us, we are to only worship Jesus. We don't worship things. We don't worship people. We don't even worship Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're not to worship the saints of the past. We're not to worship our flag. We're not to worship our country. I think it's proper to show respect to all of the above, but we only worship Jesus. Last thought, and then we're out of here. In our weddings down here on earth, um, the date is always set in advance and everybody knows when it's going to happen but for this wedding of the lamb listen the date is set but it's only known to god the angels don't even know when jesus is going to come back to earth that the bible just says to watch to be prepared for in a moment the bible says in a moment that you're not expecting it At the very right time, you know, he came the first time in the fullness of time. This will also be in the fullness of time. At the very right time, at the sound of the trumpet, at the voice of the archangel, archangel, the bridegroom will return and meet us in the air. You know, the old song, if you've been raised in church, you know this. What a day that will be when my Jesus, I shall see when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. And you know, as we've talked about your wedding, my wedding, that's upcoming. I don't know what your heart says, but my heart says as the song also says Lord haste the day when our faith shall be made sight the skies be rolled back as a scroll the trumpet shall sound the Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul so the question that I want to just kind of pose actually several questions as we wrap up our time today is are you ready are you ready for your wedding day do you know Jesus? Have you prepared your heart? Have you fixed yourself up for the groom? And, and if you look at your righteous acts, if right now, according to your righteous acts, how would your fine linen be that you're wearing? Would it be dingy and just kind of faded and stained and kind of ugly? Remember, the fine linen is determined by the righteous acts of the saints. So, you know, as I said earlier before prayer time, if we could just look around the corner, this is happening. It it may happen today. It may not. May happen tomorrow. It may not. But we get one shot at this thing called today. The Bible says today is the day. And I think it would be tragic for those of us that, you know, we live in the Bible belt where we know about Jesus, where there's a church basically on every church corner. And you can tune in to probably 50,000 different podcasts and live streams. You can watch services on television, listen on the radio, I think it'd be tragedy for any of us to just get to heaven and and look at our linen and it's dirty, dirty. So today, could I just challenge you to maybe um, search your heart, see how ugly you are. And of course, not in the mirror, but in your heart, because sin is what makes us ugly. Our face doesn't make us ugly. It's sin that makes us ugly. And if there's sin in our lives, unconfessed sin in our lives, could I urge you in the name of Jesus, could you just please give that sin to God and take his forgiveness upon you? And as the bride had to make herself ready, that we would make sure we're doing that. Would you just bow your heads, please? And nobody looking around. Is, is there somebody that would say, Pastor, God really has been speaking to my heart. Would you just pray for me? Is there anybody that would just, thank you, I see your hand. Is there anybody? I got speak. Thank you, I see your hand. Anyone else? I see your hand and your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Pray for me. God is really speaking to me today. Okay, before we pray, would you look up here? I'm thankful that you ask for prayer, but could I just ask you, whenever we give our prayer now, could you just pray in your heart and in your mind and say, God, here I am. You've spoken to me. I ask you to forgive my sins. I accept your forgiveness and the salvation that you want to give me. I want to make sure that I'm making preparations for my wedding day. Could you just do that as we pray together? Oh God, I want to thank you for your word. This is such an exciting day to live. And I know it would have been exciting a couple thousand years ago whenever Jesus walked this earth to be able to see Jesus in person. But Lord, to think that perhaps 2,000 years later, we perhaps could be that generation that will be caught up in the rapture of the church. Lord, these are exciting days. God, don't let us miss it. Don't let us blow it. Father, I pray that Maybe there, there are some here that they need to receive forgiveness of their sins that they would do so today, this very moment that they would ask for forgiveness and be forgiven and, and be cleansed. And Lord, there may be some that are serving you, but they have not been involved in righteous acts. And so the, their linen isn't very fine. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to just serve people, serve God and in ways that are tangible, not to impress, but Lord just to make sure that we're serving those that you gave life, your life for. So God, I want to just pray for those that are watching live stream, those that are listening on the radio, those that are here today, that God, we would not miss our wedding day, that we would be ready, that we would not be embarrassed, that we would not have wedding garments that are soiled, but Lord, that we would have that linen that is fine and bright and shining and clean and holy and pure and blameless. God, I pray that we would be different as a result of your word and your Holy Spirit that has spoken to us today. Lord, take us from here and uh, God, I just pray that this week we would live in readiness for our wedding day. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, uh, I've thrown a lot at you today. If there are any of you that need to talk during the week or whatever, feel free to call and uh, we'll try to pair you up with someone that can maybe answer your questions and pray with you.